Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by the department spokesperson, Chris Gouts. Chris, today's an exciting day because we're going to talk about a program that is unique, really, for, for the MDOC. Not only unique, but I think it's a program that is impacting and having a huge benefit on the outcomes inside of our prisons. You know, education is a, is a really big piece of um, rehabilitation, and I know Director Washington um, is really focused a lot on educating prisoners. So the program that we're going to talk about today is not only that, but so much more. And I think uh, when we talk to um, our guest today, I think staff will be... I don't want to say astonished, but uh, maybe surprised that all this is happening. Because I know I, I wasn't even aware that all this was happening. And you know me, Chris. I pride myself on knowing everything that's going on. I'm shocked that you didn't know something. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Yes, that's a shock to you. But no, I'm excited today to talk about this. And, and our guest today is uh, Todd Chaffee from Calvin University. Thank you, Todd, so much for coming on Field Days and talking to us about this really awesome program. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here and thank you for coming. Yeah. So Chris and I actually are on location today. We, we actually um, got out of your office, which is usually our studio. And we, we traveled all the way to beautiful Grand Rapids area to Calvin University. And, and as you pull into the campus here, it's a pretty cool campus, right? It's very beautiful. I feel very at home here because the colors are maroon and gold. Oh, boy. So yes. I really love, oh boy. I love that being chips. So <laughs> yes. I really appreciate that. Chris, this is Calvin University. <laughs> you have to talk about Central University you go to. Uh, but no, it, it is a beautiful campus as you pull in. So yeah, I know I'm excited to be here and, and kind of give you know, a little tour of, of the area here. Um, it's it's a great place. So, Todd, let's talk about, number one, what you do for Calvin University. So, I direct the Calvin Prison Initiative, and I have been the director now for coming up on five years. And I'm also Associate Professor of Congregational and Ministry Studies. And I've been at Calvin 11 years, and that's when the department I'm in started. So, I came to Calvin to help start that department. And then when the prison program started up, I was involved in some of the discussions about how to get that thing started, and eventually they asked me to be the director. So extra duties as assigned, right? Extra yeah. duties. <laughs> well, Todd, um, before we get into like, the, the what you do, you know, with your collaboration with, with, with us, let's talk about, I guess, the why. The, the why that you, you chose to work with the state of Michigan, and specifically the Department of Corrections, in, in educating prisoners. So when we tell the story, it's important for us to say that we did not go looking for this work. Um, no one in our kind of orb here said, oh, we should offer an educational program to prisoners in Michigan. Instead, what happened is we were invited to go to Angola Prison in Louisiana and to see the transformation that has occurred there over, let's say, the last 25 years in terms of a seminary offering a seminary degree in that prison. Angola has 6,200 inmates. It was known as the bloodiest prison in America at one point. And if you were to go there today and know anything about prisons, it would feel like a, almost a level one facility. You can walk around easily. You see very few officers. Uh, if you have a guide, it will often be a prisoner. Prisoners are given keys to offices. They have gate passes to move around within the facility. They drive vehicles. And the seminary grads end up running over 30 churches in the prison all the way from senior pastor, associate pastor, elder, deacon, you name it. And so when folks here from Calvin started visiting uh, Angola, they were rightly blown away. They said, how in the world is this possible? 
And the uh, then warden, Burl Cain, said, well, in part, he thinks it's because of the education. It's because of the seminary. And when folks from Calvin came back to Grand Rapids on the plane home, they said, what if? What if we did something like this in Michigan? And that's really kind of how it began. And then we found allies, if you will, both in terms of the prison population in Michigan. So there are some prisoners in Ionia who started reaching out and asking for theological education. And there were some allies in the department. So once all these folks got put on the same page, it became obvious, why not? Why don't we try this? And so this was nearly 10 years ago, and folks from Calvin Seminary began to offer non-accredited courses at uh, Handlin Prison in Ionia just to see what would happen. And they did that for a number of years, and things went really well. So let me, let me stop you there real quick. So when, when you bring this to the department, I'm sure this is a foreign concept, right? Yes. And I'm sure everybody was like, what? Yes. So, so talk about that a little bit. So the uh, then warden at uh, Handlin, MTU, he received a letter from the dean of faculty at Calvin Seminary saying, we would like to offer a seminary course at your prison. And he didn't know what to do with that request. And so as the story now goes, he started pushing it around his desk. <laughs> and the dean of faculty would call and hope oh, the warden wasn't in. And then the dean of faculty would call and hope oh, the warden wasn't in. And it wasn't until um, the director visited Handlin Prison that the warden finally said, help me here. I have this request from a school in Grand Rapids, and I have no idea what to do with it. Can you help me make the call? And so the director recognized Calvin Seminary. And he said, oh, I know of this place, and it's a good school, and these are good folks, and they want to offer a course. Sure, why not? Let them. And that's kind of how it started. And then everyone had to figure out how to do that. So the educators had to figure out how to offer education in a prison, but then... Prison officials had to figure out how do you let professors and the things they do and the books and everything into a prison and feel good about it. And so we kind of learned together, but I think that actually helped create the partnership that we have today. So in a, well, I'll put it differently. We had to learn to trust one another. And, and when you have trust between folks, uh, you have a strong relationship. So in the early days, you, you mentioned it was a non-accredited. Yes. It would be whatever a prof wanted to do. So we couldn't pay. It was non-accredited. So it was literally going to somebody as a, as a colleague you knew and saying, would you like to teach in a prison? And sometimes they say, no, <laughs> thanks though. And someone would say, that's interesting. Tell me more about it. And then it became, uh, okay, you'll do it. Uh, take your favorite course, whatever you want. Do you want to teach it for five weeks? Do you want to teach it for 10 weeks? Do you want to go a whole semester? Do you want to grade? Do you want to not grade? Do you want papers? Do you not want papers? What do you want to do? And so it was just, it was more a coalition of the willing. Whatever someone said, I'm willing to do that, we said, great. That's what snowballed into the prisoners saying, we are getting a lot out of this. Uh, we want more. We're ready to be committed to education. But you all now have to tighten up. We don't just want six weeks. We want a real semester. We want credits. We want grades. We want to earn a degree. And so it was almost their insistence on that, that that I would argue pushed the Calvin people to take it more seriously. So that's why I say in the beginning, we weren't looking for any of this. We didn't know what to do with it when we had it. And it was others who led us by the nose to what we have today. And so in terms of what we have today, when what's your sort of elevator pitch when you're talking to staff and you explain what is the Calvin Business right. Initiative? So here at Calvin, uh, we obviously are an academic institution, but we're more than that in this sense, that we say what we're really about is helping students understand their calling, what they're to do in the world, and how they're to help the world be better, help the world be transformed. If it's from a religious point of view, you know, we might use language like redemption. If a student is not of a religious tradition, we'll talk about moral transformation or the moral good. 
I like to say, how do we do that? We do it by way of education. So what we're not doing is simply offering students an opportunity to develop the resources for a career. Yes, they'll have a career. Yes, they'll work in certain fields. What we're doing is saying, here's an education where we hope you see the world in such a way that you will be an agent of change in it. We are offering prisoners an opportunity to develop a spiritual and moral worldview that allows them to change and allows them to contribute to the change of others and thereby change the culture. And we're doing it by way of education. So I like to say also that education is always about moral transformation. Any education. Either we're aware of it or not. We like to be very aware as much as we can uh, to that possibility. And so people that might be listening will say, well, yeah, you guys always talk about having college and prison. What's different about this? But what's different is, you know, we have over 700 students across the state that are taking business courses and uh, math courses and accounting courses. Talk about what degrees they're getting here and the type of prisoners that are getting those. Yes. So the degree is a BA in faith and community leadership. And the goal is to equip a prisoner to be a servant leader in the prison, in prisons. So a lot of programs, uh, and this is fine, will offer a program that they say, well, we hope when the prisoner gets out, this will contribute to better opportunities for jobs and so forth, and therefore reduce recidivism. That's a good thing. And we certainly want to support that. But that actually is not our main aim. It is indirectly, but not directly. We want to take those prisoners who either are serving life sentences or long-term sentences, and I'd say roughly two-thirds of our student body is that, equip them to be the agents of change in prisons. We look at it as uh, take a lifer. The guy doing a life sentence, it really is his domain. It's his culture. It's his house. And he's going to be there if he hasn't already been there for decades. Who better to equip to be the one who can contribute to a transformation of the prison culture and thereby, again, impact maybe short-term guys and help them get prepared for re-entry? So two-thirds of our students are lifers or long-term guys. A third are shorter term, but even then they're still doing 10, 15 years. And we want them to see their first area of service to be within that prison before they ever, anybody ever goes home. Yeah. So you know, I, I, you know, not to cut you off, Chris. Sorry, but um, I will. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to I want to underscore a couple of things that you're saying. One, what you're talking about, agents of change. I mean, that that that, that rings so near and dear to um, my heart. With having worked in the field and parole and probation, and that's what that's what our agents are mm-hmm. when we supervise justice of all people. We're agents of change. We're trying to change people through being a coach and being, you know, that kind of mentor. So that was, that's, that's, that's great. But other thing that I want to, you know, underscore is you, you talk, you say two thirds of your student body, right? Two thirds of your student body and you call them student body, but yes. these, these are prisoners, yes. right? So just the, the, the language that we're using yes. um, in this conversation is different. We're not saying offenders. We're not saying prisoners. We're saying your student body, two thirds of your student body are getting a BA and that means they're getting a bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. Right. This is very important stuff that we're talking about that I want to make sure we're, we're, we're underscoring. Your, your student body, which are prisoners in a prison, um, are getting a bachelor's degree. That's amazing. Yes. And, and it's a full-blown, real Calvin degree. So we're not sending our B team out. We are sending out the same professors that teach on the main campus to the prison for face-to-face instruction. They are taking the same courses then that any Calvin undergrad would from the same prof, same assignments, and then they get a grade. And we very carefully ask our professors for the prison program, do not grade them easier. They don't need your pity. They don't need any of that. What they need is your best. We have to be careful what we say because some profs, the, the prisoners, our, our CPI students do so well 
that it's easy for a prof to begin to ramp up the expectations. And so an intro course becomes a you know, high-level course. <laughs> and, and so we almost have to pull it back a little. And so our profs have met our expectations. Our students have met our expectations. At the same time, then, when they graduate, they will get a Calvin degree, a diploma. It will say nothing about prison, nothing. So if, in fact, they got out and went to an employer, the transcript, whatever, it would look the exact same. Our accrediting body has accredited our program in the prison. Calvin technically has two campuses now. And so we don't refer to the prison campus. We refer to as there's a campus in Grand Rapids and there's a campus in Ionia. And we want our students in Ionia to know that because that helps them gain a different identity. And if you have a positive identity, a new identity, you have new outlook. They even have student IDs with a real Calvin. They can't have them in the prison. But we have them here, and they delight in that. Yeah. They delight knowing they have a Calvin ID. I've been going to the graduations now, the, the, the associate's degrees graduations for the last couple of years, and I think when I first realized the connection, how much Calvin cared for the students is when you showed at the graduation, you showed how you played for when your actual graduation at the main campus. Yes. You played the video of the students uh, getting their degrees, and then you showed it to us at, at the prison graduation, and it was I mean, there was not a dry eye in the house. No, because you heard there was like a standing ovation. Yes, thousands and thousands of parents <clears throat> watching their twenty-something graduate, and they're cheering and standing up and cheering for these prisoners who were getting their associates. Yes, it was amazing. It's amazing. So at the main campus graduation, the president, the provost, acknowledged the other campus, acknowledged that student body there in front of roughly six thousand people that will fit in our field house. Then it's live streamed. And so, again, we don't want to differentiate, really. People go nuts over that in terms of celebrating, joyful, and support. That's exactly what we had hoped for. Yeah. I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but I guess maybe just when somebody asks, you know, why does Calvin care about this? So our, our mission statement is quite simple. We want students to think deeply, act justly, and live wholeheartedly. And then if they are Christian, we say, as agents of change for Christ. And we feel that whether someone is coming from a Christian background or not, they can connect at some point in that mission statement. So uh, we think we have opportunities and programs that fit our mission statement right now. But if we are going to be engaging the world and be those agents of change, we have to be open to what's out there and then what presents itself. And so when this was presented to us, it dawned on uh, those of us who were kind of in that circle initially, this absolutely is a bullseye on the mission statement. Because not only is it helping, let's say, a vulnerable population in prison uh, in the sense that they don't have a lot of opportunities or whatever the case may be, but if we can help change a prison culture and we can help change the families connected to these guys, if we can help change the guy who then gets out of prison and won't reoffend, now we're also talking about potential victims, victims' families. We're talking about a better society. Uh, we're talking about lowering tax dollars for incarceration costs. And so it's just a bullseye on the mission. Yeah. Uh, it's almost now, how could you not do it? And I think it's important to note because we, obviously this is a Christian university, but it's important to note that you have students of other religions. There's not a, you have to be a Christian. You have no, to be... we have what we call an open enrollment. So if we feel someone is academically ready for the university experience, we're good to go. In our student body at uh, Ionia, we do have Christians, but we have Muslims, we have Buddhists, um, we have people who don't know where they're at in terms of religion, and then we have declared atheists, and they're all welcome. Again, for those folks on the on this kind of line, uh, we say there's something in here for you, and you're going to have to be responsible with helping us identify that for you, and then using that uh, for what you understand to be the good. 
So we've had some really interesting dialogue because of that with our students. And we've had people say things like, well, I didn't know that's what Muslims believe. Oh, that's interesting, because it came up in a theology class or it came up in a history class. And we've had Muslims say, I didn't realize that's what Christians think. And so we've actually had more interreligious dialogue, I would argue, at Ionia than we do in Grand Rapids, because these are students who are not shy. <laughs> if you say, what do you think, <laughs> they will tell you. And the typical 18-year-old uh, maybe doesn't know what he or she thinks. And even if they did, sometimes they won't tell you. I think the other important point to make is too is that this is all done without tax dollars. This is all yes. through you have, uh, donors and things that are supporting all of this. Not only the program, but also the, the tuition, but also you, they have uh, laptops yes. and, and the, the, the classrooms. You know, when you go into other prisons uh, that we have and, and their classrooms, that's just a kind of nondescript classroom. This is a very Calvin branded. You know, the yeah. walls are painted. And it <laughs> yes, looks, it you is. can tell it's a Calvin classroom. Yes. So when we started, we wanted to acknowledge that this is our mission. And we don't want to make that someone else's responsibility, per se. So we felt, as a Christian institution, this is what we ought to be doing. And because of that, we reached out to our constituents and, and wanted to say, we really should be doing this. And we found the response to be overwhelmingly positive. It's hard to know what to say if you go out there and ask for money for a program, and they say, for what? For prisoners? And they've done what? And now you want me to pay for their education? Uh, so we weren't. We didn't know what we'd have. We've only had maybe a handful of ever questions about it. Otherwise, it's very positive. So we're fully funded through donors and foundations. And then when we were at the facility, we did not want the facility to have to come up with the goods. So we literally have our own desks, our own chairs. Uh, each uh, guy has a laptop, paper. We, we wanted to provide as much as we possibly could without putting the burden on the department or the facility, knowing that the facilities has to do a lot of work in terms of officers have to get us in the gate, we have to be lean cleared. So they're already giving. So we wanted to make this as financially doable as possible. And, uh, and we talked about the associates' uh, graduations before, but the, the big thing coming up the first time ever, we're all really excited this year, graduation in May. So it's a five-year program. We take 20 students a year for five years. We have 100 students then. And then after five years, we take 20 students graduate 20 students. This May, we'll finally be graduating our first BA students. So we're very excited about that. Again, we have no idea exactly what this will mean or what it will look like. We're learning as we go, but at least we can say after May, we'll have gone through one round and then we'll have a good feel for what the program looks like in all the different stages. Prior to the BA, uh, after 30 credit hours, students get a certificate. After 60 hours, they get the associate's degree. After 124 credit hours, the BA. Once they get the BA, <clears throat> we'll be working with the department again to put teams of our graduates together, identifying another facility, another prison, and saying, what are your needs? And we think we have guys who will be trained to do ministry, academics, and life skills. And so we've been working with our warden, with the director, and others on this now for a good year to kind of help them build a resume, if you will. And then we hope to be able to say to another facility, another warden, would you like five BA graduates who are equipped to do this and kind of spread it all out? And if so... We want to send you a team. And you can see them as however you want, assistants, staff, helpers, whatever the case may be. So this is something new for the department. But again, we think in, in terms of who wouldn't want more qualified staff. And, and we think this is actually possible. Well, we know it's going to be really exciting. We're lots of guests, lots of special guests. It's going to be a big, big day. A big we're, day. We're very excited uh, for it. Well, Todd, you know, I, I, what you're doing, it matters. It, it's impactful and it matters. What Calvin is doing in partnership with corrections is, I mean, I keep saying unique, but it's more than that. It's so yeah. much more. It's, it's, we're creating an environment that is safer, 
Mm-hmm. It's more productive. It's more, you know, it's, it's more everything. Yeah. And we can't thank you enough in Calvin University, you know, for really creating this partnership with us to do all that. Um, because again, it matters. It matters to human beings. You know, we can't thank you enough for what you do every single day here and with us. We, we thank you a ton for coming on Field Days and talking about it. Well, we appreciate it very much. And thank you, folks. Well, Chris, I hope everybody found that as informative as, as I did because, like you said, there's lots of things going on in the department that not everybody knows about. And they're really, not only like cool, unique programs, but they're really impactful. I mean, they're making a difference in people's lives and offender success. And so it's cool. It's cool to learn about this. I didn't know much about this program. I know you did. So I hope everybody out there got a chance to learn a little bit about the really great things that are happening across the department. That gets me into my next conversation, Chris. All these great things that are happening in the department has been the effect of what came out a couple of days ago, and that was our new recidivism rate. I know um, the last one that came out, it, it bumped up a percentage point from 28 to 29%. So are we are we higher this year? Are we lower? Where, where are we at, Chris? I'm, I'm kind of nervous to ask you. Well, if you saw the news, there's been great news. I did. I already know. I'm yes. just kind of, I'm trying to build suspense here. But yeah. <laughs> well, another thing you're not very good at. <laughs> we had a great uh, announcement. We are at 26.7%. So down from 29.1%. Yeah. That's, that's big. The lowest, lowest in state history. So really, really positive news. It's a real testament to all of our employees across the department from the prison side to the parole side, agents, everybody that's involved in this. I, I, I talked to a lot of reporters last week who were really interested and engaged in writing about this story and asking, you know, how did it go down so much? What do you attribute it to? And I said, you know, there's a lot of things, but it's really all the work. It's just the whole focus. It's a collaborative effort. Between yeah. Everybody, everybody's right? pushing in the same direction. Everybody knows that first day of prison is your first day of reentry. So the, the prison staff um, that are working with them, addressing their needs, that the compasses, everything that you think about that, that kind of sets them up and figures out what it is they need in prison, making sure that that happens. The parole board meets with them, paroles them, and then agents take over and all the field staff that look at what they're doing, connecting them with community supports, meeting with them, doing care guides, motivational interviewing, well, all not, those things. Not to mention all of our probation staff who work their tails off to keep people out of prison in the first place, yeah. right? To, to, to reduce their risk and um, not put that stigma of prison on a person um, right. and keep them out. So, I mean, it's the time person somebody gets convicted of a crime to keep them out. And if they unfortunately do go, it's a collaborative effort from everybody inside prison and parole agents outside to, to really hone in and, and be a coach, you know, and kind of um, support and develop people uh, for long-term success. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a collaborative effort and they do an amazing job every single day here. Yeah. And if you, if you look at the numbers we had, cause this is the 2016 cohort. So that were, there were 9,922 paroles and 7,000 271 were successful. Uh, and that's that's an astounding number. And I, when I talked to reporters, I said, you know, people may not know somebody who was in prison or on parole, but everybody has encountered somebody who's been on parole. But the problem is you don't know that. They don't walk around that's with right. a scarlet letter. So you don't know that you've seen somebody or the person next to you in line or the person, you know, in, in the cubicle next to you has, has had that experience. But you all know somebody. And the problem is that in the media, the one time you might hear about parolees is you see that one bad story and you see a mugshot and you see somebody's picture in the paper you see it on the tv news but you don't see the stories of the more than seven thousand people that our agents and all of our staff helped keep on the straight and narrow and we're on them every day making sure that they were successful so we need to talk about that more and talk about these seven thousand successes because that's why it is this is what we do uh, every day uh, and it's so important and it's why we are now among the top 10 in the country when it comes to recidivism and actually i believe we're in sixth place right now so we're, we're continually moving down and it's not just a number you know i know it's a stat that we throw out but it, you know i said you know last week that it's not a baseball stat it's just not just a number but there's it's the story behind the number it means that there are safer communities it means there 
there are fewer victims, means we're spending fewer tax resources on keeping people locked up. It's a win for everybody. Well, and if you look at it, kind of going back to what you said, you, there's many more people out there who are um, living amongst you and that you may not even know about. So flip that number, Chris. So 26.7% are the people who come back to prison, right? That's almost 74% of our population that are successful. 73.3. Seven, right. I said, I said almost 70, 74, <laughs> 73.3. So, I mean, look at, look at it that way, right? Yeah. It's Don't don't look at the number at 26.7. Look at it at, at almost 74% of the people that leave. Don't come back. That's, One in four. That's three, that's three quarters of the population that leaves. Stay right. out. Are successful. Right. That's their families are benefiting from that. Their friends, society. It's such an impactful number that we should we should start flipping it and saying. And it's, Brian it's Brian Levins, who was on the podcast a couple of times, talked to us about that very yeah. thing. And we're weird in, in that everybody talks about their success. Yeah. You know, we don't. When you talk about like batting average, you don't talk about you know somebody has a six hundred percent you know strikeout rate. <laughs> right. They talk about their four hundred you know batting average. Yeah. So we need to maybe start thinking about that a different way and then talking about this, like you said, exactly the seventy four percent success rate. So, right. but just it was just really great. To have a great week and a great time talking about that and and praising our staff for for all the work that they do and and getting us to that number. The director had other directors from around the country emailing her asking, you know, what's your secret? What's going on? What are you doing that's so different? We just, you know, as you heard in the the interview today, we had people from Kansas here a couple weeks ago touring the village, looking at Calvin. Other states around the country, we've had more than a dozen states have come to see the village and see other aspects of what we do. You know, I was with you when we had Utah came here a couple years ago to see what was going on the parole side and, and learning about what we do on that piece of it. So yeah. a lot of really great things. And here's the here's the secret, Chris. You know, it's not it's not the director or deputy directors who make this happen. It's the secret is the staff right. who who do the work every single day and work so hard to to be good coaches and develop and support and advocate the positives and, and really develop people into into long term success stories. That's the secret, right, Chris? It's not, it's not you. I don't think it's you. It's, no, it's not me. It's, it's not, not me you. at all. I didn't do one thing to change that. Really. Yeah. So huge, huge congrats and kudos to everyone out there for for that number because it it, it matters. Um, what you do matters, and we always say that. So congrats. So on that note, I do want to mention one other thing, Chris. FOA is doing a workload analysis. We've talked about it before on the on the uh, on the podcast, but it's going to kick off here in the next. I'm not sure exactly the time frame, either this week or next week. The staff were all trained who are going to do the workload study. It's kind of a, a two pronged analysis. The first part of the analysis is going to be an actual time study, a workload study, where agents are going to document a task and how much time it took to do that task, which is which is a typical workload study. The second part, which is very interesting and unique, is a part that's going to take place here probably end of this month and in. Into April, where the Council of State Government, I should say the workload study is going to be done by APPA. Everybody knows APPA, the American Probation Parole Association. They're going to do the time study. The other part of, of, of this analysis is the Council of State Government, CSG, is going to come in and do some site visits at six parole and probation offices across the state. And they're going to really look at what agents are doing, not a time study, but look at what we're doing and say, is what you're doing right now, does it add value? Is it evidence-based? And if it's not, you know, those recommendations will come to Deputy Director Marlin. You know, he'll look at that and look, and look at our policies. You know, if we're doing these things and it's taking all this time, but it adds zero value, then why are we doing it? Maybe we should do more of this stuff that you really don't have time for that is evidence-based and, and does add value. So kind of, it's going to be a unique workload analysis. It's kind of a two-pronged um, approach here, but I can't wait to see some of the results. Um, I know staff, you know, it is going to take some time. And, and we do appreciate the extra time it's going to take for you to enter this stuff in the applications and, and to get the information into it so we can get some good data for APPA. What they're doing will have an impact for years and years and years for the MDOC and specifically FOA on how we do our work. So please know that we appreciate the work that you're doing in this because this will pay dividends for so many more years down the road. So we should know more. This All this should end here in the next couple months. Um, it's not going to be a long study, but you know then they'll do their analysis and probably give us um, some recommendations and uh 
summer, maybe early fall. So stay tuned. So I'm sure we'll share all that with you on the podcast too. So very cool. And also, like we said before, surveys out there. Go take the employee survey. survey. That's right. Keep keep going. Keep doing that. And make sure you stay tuned next week to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. All right. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Field Days Podcast.